Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the club. club. Hi, Sean. Hey, Rebecca. What's up? And let's say hi to our friend Claire. Hi, you guys. I Welcome. Didn't Welcome to meeting one of the Hot Young Book Club, where we're discussing The Big Leap by Gay Hendrick. If you're reading along with us, we will be back in two weeks where we'll dive into chapters three and four. But today we're going to be reviewing our takeaways from the first two chapters of The Big Leap. And we've welcomed Claire Jones, who is the owner of Etch and Ivy Design. Claire, can you share with our listeners a little bit about you? I would love to. So I began my design company about six years ago. Um, But I would say the first three years, it was kind of on a hobby level. And these past three years, um, I've experienced tremendous growth in terms of my clients and just how I run my business. And I love listening to the Hot Young Designers podcast. I talk back to to my phone all the time. And I send you guys Marco Polos when I'm laughing. And so I feel really honored to be here today. And I can't wait to discuss this book with you guys. Super excited to have you. And Claire is in my hometown of Sacramento. So we kind of know each other through mutual friends over the years. And it's been really fun being in our little design pod and helping each other out more and more this year. And Claire, yeah, you're like really a pro- you're a prolific book reader. I am, but you know, I really like fiction books. Okay. And it's very hard for me to read nonfiction. So this was like a little bit out of my element. Um, I just don't get as much like enjoyment. <laughs> they're just not as they're not as fun for me. It's harder. It's harder to devour self help or advice or some. It's like too real. So well, I'm the same, and I read fiction to get out of my head in my life. And so this, like these kinds of books, make you think about your life and your problems. <laughs> and things totally. That you need to do. Yeah, they bring you back to reality for sure. Yes. So that's why I made you guys do this with me. So we're not all running from reality together. We're we're now and being we confronted have, with it together. Like I'm I'm like the queen of reading the first chapter of these kinds of books and be like, got it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so cool. They put they they saw it all in the preview. It's all. Oh, gone. I get it yeah. all. I get no, it. you guys. If we didn't have this book club after chapters one and two, I would have been like, peace out. Sorry. Like yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we're going to assume that everyone who's listening has read the book. So, spoiler alert, we're not going to over-explain any of the concepts. We're just chatting about our reactions. So, if you haven't read it, you can push pause and come back when you're caught up. Let's do it. All right. (laughs) Sean. What? Okay. (laughs) what so like talking about chapters one and two like he's mostly explaining this concept of the upper limit problem Mm -hmm. um did that resonate with you guys absolutely um it did and it didn't so the first place i think it really resonated with me is when uh he was saying like the excuses we make for not doing our very best and he, we kind of say, oh, well, I, if I failed, it's because I wasn't trying hard enough. Yeah. Or I would have succeeded if I had really tried. And that one, uh, I got like a ding, ding, ding. Because sometimes I do that where I like play small. And it's because I know I won't fail um, if I'm playing small. Totally. Like you, yeah, that you're... resonated with me too. Is it, is it the same? Are we saying this is the same though as like self-sabotage in a way? It, it seems like that. It's like sabotaging before you even starting it. Um, like you've created these limits on yourself to make it so small. Well, and it's you'll like- You'll either do great at it or you'll fail at something even bigger. And you don't feel disappointed. Um, I do the same thing. I actually wrote some notes about that yesterday. Um, And I think like, 
I don't know. Like, I felt like I did this in high school. We were talking about, like, I was, like, a, like a pretty good upper B student, like, most of the time. And I felt okay because, like, I wasn't even trying that hard. I didn't even really study. Like, so. totally could have been a 4.0 GPA if, if I, I actually worked at it. <laughs> but I wanted to do other things. So, whatever. And then you're never, like, I don't know. I never felt bad about it because it was just what I put into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you're like not truly ever fully showing up in your life. Yeah. Or living to your potential. So it's like always like, what could I have actually accomplished if I had done at least 95%? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I can see some of that in in my business where when something's going really well, I'm just sort of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop but you know something like something's going to happen to bring it back down or to put me back into reality and so it's like I'm never fully appreciating how well something is going or how great I did at something it's on like on to the next critical challenge that I'm creating for myself Yeah, and something else I wrote down yesterday is if I don't try very hard, I won't know that I'm not good. Like, if I tried 100% and then I still kind of sucked, then, oh, yikes. Like, my full potential isn't very good. So if I I know I'm not trying that hard and it's still not that good, then I... It's because you didn't try hard enough. Yeah, and I'm not... It's not because you're not good enough. I'm not good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then people who are like actually truly not good enough. Cause I think he kind of overlooked those people in this book. He just, he just assumes that everyone is so capable of excellence or genius. And maybe that's, if you find your right zone, everyone is capable of that. But I don't really mm-hmm. believe that. Cause there, I just like half of America is just dumber than my cats, you know? Um, <laughs> So well, it's their genius though. So maybe their genius is their genius is being a cat. That's true. But looking <laughs> in their ass. Like do you think there are people who are like meh, like mediocre intelligence, mediocre creativity, and they like try really hard at something and they fail and they go, I'm just not I'm just, just not, not smart enough. Thing. I'm just not creative yeah. enough. Or do you think they go, I didn't work hard enough? Like, do you think we really can actually have that kind of perspective to look back? Like, if, does everyone have that clear of a gift? Ooh, that's yeah. That's now that's getting meta because for me, because I also then I start opening that can of worms of, well, would they have had? Would other people have had an opportunity to find a zone of genius if they had money for education? If they had supportive family environments? If they had better education? Like, so that opens up a whole can wow. of worms of people's unrealized zones of genius because maybe something else that really wasn't their control versus just their willingness to take part. I love that that perspective. That's a much nicer perspective. I think we're also (laughs) assuming that being in your zone of genius means being like professionally successful where I think like you can be, yeah, you can be someone who like, we've probably all met caretakers or someone who's just and like, you're like the best damn one that anyone's you're just ever so seen. warm like you walk into a room and everyone is like comfortable in your presence presence because you're just like this amazingly warm like joyful person or you know like yeah you guys probably have like moms in the school groups who are like completely 100% dedicated to being like full-time stay-at-home mom and they run it amazingly and anything that needs to be organized, they are on top of it and they run it like a business. And maybe that's their zone of genius. Like they can do that. They're willing to like live into that or lean into that. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe you don't know one. No, I any moms like that, Rebecca? I don't know. I don't, I don't know your life. No. <laughs> like that I don't think could be using those gifts for more. Um, oh, well, that's totally. That's a whole nother. So then that's, maybe it's a zone of excellence where they're great at it, but it's not necessarily where they're meant to be using their genius. 
because um, they're afraid of like stepping out and back into the world of competitive professionalism yeah. or whatever it is. I had a, a really good mentor when I worked in banking and I was like a new manager. I was really, I went into management really young. I don't think, I honestly don't think I was 21 yet. Like I can remember going to an event and I couldn't drink at an event. And it was like with all these other like entry to mid-level managers. And I was the youngest one there. And it was like, holy crap. I, I'm like, I'm, I knew I was good enough to get there, but then I was so young that I felt like I should stay where I was for a while. And a, a mentor of mine, she was like, once you feel comfortable somewhere, it's, it's time to either go or grow. Like you either need to leave whatever it is and, and move on somewhere else where you're meant to be doing something, or you're going to have to really push out of yourself and get bigger in the space. And that's what made me take on like more complex jobs, more direct reports, like more responsibility and forced me to grow. But I wouldn't have done, I don't think I would have done that if she hadn't said like, it's time for you to leave this position you've been in for a while. Like you have to get out of here. You're just going to stagnate and die. I think that's a really good point. But I also think that we're coming at the, this conversation being people who are growers and doers and um, I have a kind of similar uh, career as you. It's, it wasn't in banking, but it was market research. And I became a manager at 22. And there was a lifer there who had been a, a project manager her whole life. And, so, yeah. and I got restless after like four years. And that's when I, uh, I went to school for design while I was still working there. But I looked at her and she was completely content doing like the bare minimum at work and just kind of phoning it in. And whereas like in contrast, I was like restless and antsy and like unhappy and, um, you know, reading this book. Now I know, like I was not, you know, in the right place. Obviously. You think she was in like her zone of excellence? No, I just think that not everybody even cares about getting to a zone of excellence, that a lot of people are really like comfort level people. And mm -hmm. um, I, everyone has a different uh, level of comfort, but like he gave you the, the example of um, Maynard Webb in the book. And he was the one who worked as the COO of eBay yeah. when Meg Whitman was there. And uh, he made so much, he had so much money and he still pushed himself to start another company. And now I look at that and I'm like, God, if I had like a hundred or 250 million in the bank, I would go buy an island with my family and literally <laughs> be done with this crazy fucking, oh, crazy world. We're an explicit <laughs> podcast, Claire. Okay. We can, you could do whatever. Yeah. Sorry, moms in the car. Sorry, the, the episode with Claire or... is going to be explicit. They're all explicit. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That was so one of the you... ground rules for this podcast was, yeah, I'm not going to edit that out. I'm okay. just, <laughs> we're just going to do what we do. So don't you feel like his comfort level, um, he cannot get comfortable somewhere and he's always going to be someone who pushes himself. Where... Yeah, it's not the money that drives it necessarily or the outward, outward uh, perspective that he was successful. Cause so many other people saw him as, Oh, he's a huge success. Look what he's done with eBay and look what he look what they've accomplished. Mm -hmm. But he's like, well, yeah, that's just like, that's great. You all see that. But that wasn't his personal like definition or limit of the success right. that he should have. bar was set high. Right. Do you think though that like that scenario, like if you really had millions in the bank to just go buy a private island, like do you think you could really just do that and chill 100% and not mm. now be like, organizing no. something on the island like i don't know i don't know given our current climate i'm really no. really think yes i could <laughs> um i don't know if in like 10 years i would be restless um but i am someone like if i was surrounded by my friends and family on that island yeah i, I could get pretty full with that kind of stuff you know but you'd be organizing like amazing parties and oh, like yeah. events within it. And, yeah. There'd be like a trivia night every night. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't just be sitting watching TV, but. That, that still like meets a lot of what they taught, where, where Hendrix is talking about being able to fill like your, 
like abundance, a life of abundance. So like in that case, it's the money situation, right? And then full of love because your friends and family are there. And then creativity, you would find another bucket, another place to spend that energy, even if it wasn't designed, but that would get two of your three like major drivers filled pretty quickly. And then you would maybe free up time to be in that zone of creativity in that category and find another way to fulfill it. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's true. So I that guess would be nice if two out of three were hit. The same. But two out of three, like which two would you pick? I mean, I don't know. Money and love, like it's pretty big. Like a, a life of abundance doesn't necessarily mean money, like having tons of money. It just means to me, it meant I'm not having to worry about it. Like to I, me, all my bills are on auto pay, and I never look. Yeah, my bills are paid. I'm not. I'm not like straddled with crazy amounts of debt that I'll never be able to handle. And if I have an emergency come up or a fun project I'd like to do that I'm not You have thinking, no creativity uh, though. Well, they're not <laughs> saying that you don't, if you, oh, you're saying you could only pick two your like, whole life. You can't like build something new or like. Oh God. I have to actually give up one of them? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm doing a weird, which is like a very weird Sophie's choice. Yeah. I don't think I could give, I don't know if, I'm glad we're not faced with that decision because I don't think that would be a fulfilling life to not be, See, for and me, then that makes you to think not be like, creative. Like I might give up the money. Right. No. I think I would too. Like I'd, I'd have to be, I'd be creative and work, but I'd need to work in order to generate that level of like monetary abundance, but I'd still have a loving environment around me and I'd be able to be creative because I, I mean, think that's where I am now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all y'all's situation, but like, I don't think anybody sitting on this call is a hundred percent independently wealthy. So in that case, the but level, okay. that level of abundance isn't there. And we're still dissatisfied. I'm, well, <laughs> are we, are we working on love and creativity? Yeah. That's probably a lot of what we have is like, we're running on a wing and a prayer <laughs> but we're we're building the abundance in other parts of our lives by trying to get those things to align. That's true. But like, have you ever been really financially stressed out? Because in my 20s, Constantly. I was. And that is like carrying around a 50 pound weight at all times, like burning a hole yeah. in your stomach. Yeah. And and I had a huge safety net and I got bailed out every month, basically. And so I didn't really learn my lesson, but I, I remember what it feels like to be that stressed out and like to be it's waiting. It's like all you think about. It affects every single decision. It does. Life. And you can, when you have that, it's very, it, that's exhausting. So yes. mm-hmm. I think it would be very hard to be creative uh, and to get into your zone of genius with that much stress too. Totally. I could not, even just the venture of starting a business like we have, and and or changing directions for our careers would not have been possible. And maybe that's, I I can say for my sake, like that, as we're thinking about like into chapter two, like I can see where some of that money limitation was impacting. I was letting it make the decision for me of whether I started my own business, whether I left my banking career, whether I did those things or whether I even could do it. And it was like, well, I can't until I can make all that money. Well, it's like, well, if I never do it, I'm never going to make more money in design than I am in banking. Like doing it as a hobby was never going to add up to my full-time salary at the bank. Yeah. That was never going to happen. No. Like I had to give up somewhere. And part of it was like, oh God, we got to make sure we can pay a mortgage and I still need a car to drive. And at the time I still had student loan debt, like, and art school's freaking expensive. Like- Right. Right. I I don't know, you guys aren't there yet, but like (laughs) the idea of this call to genius, like he had this paragraph I'll just read, um, which totally happened to me. So watch out. Okay. (laughs) By by age 40, many of us have tuned out the call to genius and are getting loud, repeated alarms hidden in the form of depression, illness, injuries and relationship conflicts. Mm-hmm. If we don't make a gentle, graceful move into our zone of genius, we often get painful life wor- words that are all us with, sorry, 
that call us with blatant clarity that we are not paying attention to the call. That's like your health That's concerns, midlife crisis, yeah. like everything else, everything's crashing in around you at once. Yeah, he had I, some I, digs I, on like fibromyalgia and like some like of the um, like chronic diseases that can. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And I feel like my change of career happened exactly that way. Like I ignored the gentle calls and it turned into like a major, major. It became gosh. an emergency. It, it became yeah, like yeah. a critical emergency instead of it being like, well, here's your chance. Okay. We can't be subtle anymore. And your body and your mind are telling you like, we we can't go with you on this journey anymore. Right. I mean, literally like time to walk the plank. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see so many people in my life who I'm, I know, like, I know they're not happy and I know they're not going to be happy. And I, I can already see it after reading like these chapters. I'm like, oh, that's why she was never happy in her relationships. Like she never tried that hard and it was so easy. And I'm like, I have these people in my life, like friends and family members. And I'm like, well, of course it never works out. Like it's, it's not that they're like falling into a trap or anything, but it's well, kind helpful of to be like able to if, see it. If you're like constantly like having that low bar with like the thermometer analogy and yeah. every time you hit your height like, of happiness, then you sabotage with negativity or a fight with your partner or something yeah. crazy. Um like some people have that threshold really low and they're yeah. like, you can see it happen. Like I know people who do that. And like, if you don't realize it, then you're constantly screwing your life up and your relationships and your jobs. And yeah, Sean and I are on two totally different ends. Like as, as, as much as spouses could be on something, I completely left the life where like, I'm not trying to be like all hippy dippy on you guys, but like I left the happiness is tied to money mm -hmm. philosophy. And I really like, I'm so, I, I guess I'm like just so sick of hearing that from people of like, well, success means money and money means happiness. And it's just like, okay, it's like, no, like if anyone out there is still subscribing to that, good, like good for you. I'll meet you on the other side when you decide. It's to like, I us, hope but... you win the lottery and then realize the truth. Really right. Quickly. Like it, right. it just doesn't. And um, oh, and that's interesting, Rebecca, because he talks about that example yeah. in the book where he talks mm -hmm. about lottery winners, where it's like, literally, you can have all of your dreams come true, but it almost always created more like assault claims and being sued by family and friends and costing more like, money than wherever ever Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and Sean and I are on <laughs> opposite ends there. of that spectrum. Like, I, I think he's still trying to like redefine himself. And that's where I can see like, I'm like, oh, he needs to read this because I'm still not driven by that like productivity society where it's like the busier you are, the happier slash more successful you're supposed to be, you know, and it's like not tied to money. Like I don't need that job that's two positions up just to get a bigger pay scale because then I'll be happy. It's like, no, all those responsibilities will bury me. Yeah. Sean, I'm so with you there. <laughs> Even just in terms of like client load, and I realize like this is coming from a place uh, of a little bit of privilege, but like there's a lot of clients that I say no to mm -hmm. that I could make a quick buck on or, you know, I, I could make more money than I'm making right now, but I know like my happiness is not worth it. Yeah. Um, but, Having a weekend with your family. Right. But then, but in the same vein, I'm also hoping like I'm not chasing but I'm also hoping that in my like zone of genius that that success will also come with like a hefty amount of money because I do like a certain way of life. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I'm not chasing the dollar, but I hope the dollar follows me. Yeah. You know? You've you've uh, grown accustomed to a certain style of living and comfort. Yeah. Like <laughs> But I feel like with, if you are actually working in your zone of genius, like I'm hoping to learn more about this in future chapters, but that you are kind of getting magnetic to money and more abundance because you are living your purpose and that's only yeah. going to attract more people who want that, which should translate to money if you're using it in business. 
Yeah. He got woo-woo when he said, he said the, the seductive comforts of success can lull us into accepting the status quo. Uh-huh. And in a, state, in a state of comfort, it's easy to forget the deal you made with the universe to use yourself fully. Like to meet your full potential is this like cosmic agreement we've come to. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to tie this into your latest episode of the podcast where you guys had um, Clara on and, uh-huh. you know, she was previously a lawyer and um, we do see a lot of lawyers turn into interior designers. And what I really think it is, is that intelligent women are not encouraged into creative fields at all. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. high achieving women in high school and college are pushed to be doctors and lawyers and MBAs. MBAs, yes. It's yeah. a very like limited way of thinking. And I think it it's not helpful to our industry, especially when I feel like we're constantly fighting um, for our worth and to get paid mm-hmm. what we're worth. Um, so I welcome all these women who are, you know, high achieving and really intelligent and also very creative. Um, and they're hopefully raising the bar of interior designers. Yeah, I wonder if that's true. That's interesting because if you're a high achieving, intelligent, like go getter female, and you're the only like real acceptable careers in that realm are doctors mm-hmm. or lawyers. Like even business is like a little like mm-hmm. still glass mm-hmm. ceiling that you're gonna have to push through, especially when right. we were kids. Like the so, prestige just isn't there either behind it. But it's but, been yeah. acceptable culturally to be a female doctor or lawyer for a long time. Because you're so, because you make a lot of money, it comes with a lot of success. It's kind of like, right. okay, you can and, do that Oh, you must be smart. Stuff. Like yeah. you, you, to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, it's like this huge level of intelligence that's required or, to be able to do that. And You are smart and these are your only two options, which means right. that they're going to You're so smart, those. you can only do this. And then they're going to hit this career and then they all like jump ships. So I wonder if there's just a lot of attorneys going to different. Well, so that goes to the fears. Maybe it's not just interior design. That goes to the fears that cause the upper limit problem though. Like to me, when I hear that, I'm hearing that believing, believing that more success brings a bigger burden. That's it is. There actually is a bigger burden that comes along with a career choice like that. And not everyone's going to be able to like meet the challenges of a rigorous like litigation job. Or I mean, being a surgeon has a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, and you have to be able to get through that anxiety if you even want to do it anymore. Maybe that's why a lot of doctors have God complexes. Because they're like, well, they're beyond this. They're not afraid of uh Right. They're not, they're not just focused on ostracism or whatever. They're just like, well, I just saved your life. Like, well, they're literally, yeah. Life or death is in their hands Mm -hmm. on the daily. So that whole thing with the fears, like his hidden barriers, did you guys feel um, any of them resonated with you? Like feeling fundamentally flawed fear of disloyalty and abandonment or believing that more success brings a bigger burden or the crime of outshining. I was trying to kind of relate it to my childhood and having a hard time. Yeah. It was a little tough with me because I felt like this poor author, that story <laughs> where he brought his book to his mother and sister that had just been published oh, yeah. and oh, he yeah. put it in front of them and they didn't even acknowledge it. I was like, Oh my God, I did not have a childhood like that. I did not have an adulthood like that. Like yeah. I, I even had a high achieving twin sister and neither oh, twin. Us, yeah. I have a twin. I have a fraternal twin that. brother. What the heck, Claire, how do we and know And she's this? an attorney. She's a partner at a law firm. Uh, and neither of us ever felt the crime of outshining. Like we were both so mm-hmm. different. We, we weren't competitive with each other in that sense. And we both really just let each other be ourselves. So the only one that actually resonated with me was number one, feeling fundamentally flawed. Like to me, I just related to that in the sense that like, I'm, I'm just not good enough or just kind of comparing myself to um, other interior designers. I'm just not, I'm just not as creative as them or 
I didn't get the right paying client to do my best possible work. Like, right. That was the wrong house and a lot of stuff went wrong. So that's why it didn't work. It didn't work out. Like, Did you feel that way as a kid though? No. Well, no, I, mean, I went through childhood, like just like blissfully happy and unaware of anything. I'm so confident and like, just like living my best life. So only, only when I became adult did I get like anxiety and, mm. you know, being so critical. Oh um, my God. So, I lived these. I lit like. You? Fun- oh, okay. that makes me sad. So, so like, I'll break it down and I don't like being defined. I'm not like a big flag waver and I don't want to be defined by it because there's so much more to me than this. But every LGBT plus youth has felt I'm going to say the feeling that they are fundamentally flawed, that right. something is wrong with them, that something's not right with them, that they don't belong as they are, that how they are isn't good enough. And I think whether it's a fleeting thought and you have a really loving family environment that's accepting and you move past that quickly, it, I, I have never heard a story of any LGBTQ community member who never felt that ever. They, they, it almost always comes and then they go, but then I had this happen and I knew my family supported me or I knew this, but the first thought is I'm not good enough. Something's broken and I need to try to, to change the way or who I am. And I had a really supportive family environment. Like I had examples all around me and I didn't even know it from my mom and her friends, like, I mean, I feel like there were a lot of hints being given and it was more like from, with me and my mom, it was like, well, when you're ready, you'll tell me. But I didn't see that. I had to process it myself first to be able to then share it. And then it's like a non-issue. Um, but you're also but a I, person in the world and American culture and you're hearing that a lot yeah. growing up. But- right. I mean, but I grew up like time frame. I'm watching... Pedro on real world San Francisco with yeah. HIV, you know, on yeah. MTV. Like that's like time and place. I'm a closeted kid and I'm like, oh shit, every gay, every gay person gets HIV and AIDS and they all die. Right. And then you're seeing stuff like that. That's reinforcing like, well, I don't want that to happen to me. And you don't understand how they're not mutually exclusive. Like that you just they don't have to be exclusive together. They are separate. They're separate ways to live an entire life. Um, but I don't know that that, I think I was able to move past that, especially with fear number two, talking about disloyalty and abandonment, because that is the experience of coming out, of no longer, of being able to move past the fear of being abandoned or that you're being disloyal to your family by coming out is saying, I'm no longer going to let that fear own my life Mm. and I'm going to tell the people around me because I don't care if they do abandon me I don't care if this does happen because I'm going to figure it out on my own and yeah I think a lot of LGBTQ people are overachievers to try to like disprove people's expectations that they will fail in their life Mm -hmm. or they either that or they the opposite side they shrink themselves into an unfulfilling existence where they're closeted away or not living their full potential. And Catholic I think that's priest. like, sorry, I'm saying like, that's, yeah. that's extreme. Like, that's an extreme. Well, it's there though. But like, yeah. yeah, if you didn't fully commit, like he says in the book, if you didn't fully commit to your zone of genius, you might fail and your genius is flawed. You won't be good enough. You have to play it safe. You have to stay small because then you Mm -hmm. fail small and it's not a big deal. So, Mm -hmm. and I think I do agree. I think even into my business, being fundamentally flawed is the thing that I'm like, well, I'm not that level yet. I'm not there Mm -hmm. yet. That's my, I didn't, I didn't think of that great idea. Like Claire, to your point of like, their creativity was better than mine. Mine's not good enough for that. But do you, I mean, that is all um, around, what's that, the, where you compare yourself to everybody? I mean, it's not the comparison trap, but it's something else. Um, do you think there's any level of success where you don't stop feeling that way? I mean, do I you felt think, like, that's like Bill Gates, do you think Bill Gates? Like imposter syndrome, is that what you mean? 
Yeah, imposter syndrome. That's it. Like, were you just? Oh, I don't know. I have never heard one successful person interviewed say they did not have imposter syndrome, though. I feel like it's part of the human experience if you have any sort of self awareness and drive. Maybe Donald Trump is probably the only person who. Oh, I think critical. he feels it and he just like outwardly puts it overcompensates overcompensates for it like do you I I'm feel the best like, president ever yeah, <laughs> I'm the best designer ever um we're really doing very good things the very best designs um honestly though but isn't that fear of being fundamentally flawed part is that part of what drives the creative process of like, is this my best work? Is this the most creative? Is this interesting enough? Is this good enough? Like that doesn't push you guys to do more with your designs. Uh, I mean, I think you could, you could be high achieving or a perf- I mean, cause I'm like a recovering perfectionist. It, <laughs> d- it doesn't have to come from like a bad place. Like it doesn't have to come from a critical place. That's where I operate out of right now. Is the uh, place is that like, I want to do my best. This is not my best. Like keep pushing myself there. Okay. But don't you feel like at some point it could, I mean, like I think about like Kelly Worsler. Do you think she operates out of a place of that? I think she's at a different level of creativity where she just is like in this, z- like her zone of genius. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving. Well, she can take so, so confident. Many, she can <laughs> like, take so many risks. Like she could just say, "You're gonna love it. Trust me, it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be amazing." And I do think that comes from just she owns the genius. Like, right? Nope. This is like I am a hundred percent confident in this. And if even if it's not, it's still gonna be beautiful, and it's gonna be fantastic that we tried something new and different and groundbreaking and avant garde. Like, and and she's probably honestly in that zone of genius because she has someone doing her bookkeeping. She has someone going, getting all the samples. Right. Like she just gets yeah. to be in the, in her real genius. I just uh, heard, have you listened to the Domino's new podcast? Yes. No. She, her interview there, she was saying like her biggest thing that she attributes all of that to is her relying on her experts and her artisans and her trades. So she, that is part of what makes her genius is these people around her that, she relies on to experiment with her and teach her and I mean I think it's just like being curious and open and not trying to always be the assuming your idea is the only idea like I feel like she's probably pretty good at collaborating with so so like she's not operating from a place of fear or feeling flawed she's not letting that drive her creativity letting the fear control it it's letting her genius aim it yes and, and also that all in and open yeah, yeah. it's that weird corporate like did you guys have meetings where they would be like okay no bad ideas guys throw everything out there's no bad ideas but that's truly like living in your genius is throwing everything out like get all the stupid junk out of your face and that's part of art school too was if you're going to take a drawing class, if you're going to take a graphics class, it's just, you have to work, work, work through so many, not bad, but just not the best or most creative thing you could create. But you had to get all of those other ideas out. Well, like Brene Brown calls it her it. shitty first draft. Like she says, like, allow yourself a shitty first draft and totally. call it that. Like you might scrap the whole idea. I've done that on so many projects where... Okay. I pretty much build out like the whole space either in my mind or I start really developing the idea and I'm like, it's crap. Like, it's just not going to, it's not going to work. This isn't my best place. And then I find the one thing that sparks all of it for me. And, and it's like tough because you're like, man, I spent all that time and energy on it. And that's, it's hard to live with, but it's okay to have that. Yeah, Yeah, I gotta make like Elsa. Gotta do it. <laughs> and it's such a journey, not to be like cliched, but it really is such a journey. Like, uh, I think our clients also don't get that. Like the end result, yes, they get to see, like I'm about to go to a presentation today. They get to see like this pretty presentation. I think they're going to love it. I'm obsessed with it. But that was a journey getting there. Like I had a lot of bad ideas. And finally, I told you guys something clicked on like Monday and I was like, this is it and roll with it. I can't yeah. regret like the week before struggling and, agonizing over it because it led me to that place on Monday. It's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like all my bad relationships led me to this life. Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all those shitty ex-boyfriends. Uh-huh. And all the lessons you learned from them. Isn't yeah. that a movie? Shitty ex-boyfriend? I feel like that's a plot of like a movie. Anyway, it's probably like Oh, it like is. A... Like when she goes back and meets all her ex-boyfriends, doesn't she? Yeah. It, this is oh a thing. God. That would be a nightmare. Anyway, I feel like I saw this on, it's a Nicholas Sparks or something. Who knows? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know I love a Nicholas Sparks. Right. You're talking about okay. the right girl. <laughs> I've seen this movie before. Um, I think my hidden barrier, I had a hard time with this one too. Um, but I think it's more of number three. I think I have more success brings a bigger burden. I think I have this like, burden syndrome Mm -hmm. that I know it comes from like I'm the oldest of three kids my mom was really overwhelmed with my two younger brothers who were only a year apart and so my mo was to stay out of her way like just to my helping was to not need anything right so um I feel this sense of like anything that I do extra is gonna be a burden on my family or people around me to the point where now like I don't tell people when things are going on it doesn't even occur to me like I just like really you just absorb it as much Mm -hmm. as you can until you probably have to deal with it and it's sad like I think of like my 12 year old self like TMI but like I didn't tell my mom when I got my period like there were just so many things like that that like I would be so sad if I if Cecily was like that with me you know like like I don't want to bug her with this I can handle it let me just ask my friends like clearly like what does a 12 year old know about anything like it's (laughs) sad you know so I did that a lot to where it developed into this like I take on too much myself and get it in over my head and then feel bad I don't know when it's too much and I don't let people know and then I fail them and myself but you only failed them because you didn't let them know right because I assumed it was, I was like they didn't have an opportunity Not because it to... was too much for you but it's because you didn't let them know it was too much for you yeah, like you didn't get help or you didn't help like they couldn't offload something for you or and yeah, and not asking for help was my way of helping. Right. Ooh. Yeah. No, like, and, and help, like, not having needs was like being yeah. like, that I'm was making a it form better of by love. not needing. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, what do you yeah. need like, from don't me? Don't worry about me, mom. Like, <laughs> I'll get straight B pluses. You take care of those fools. Like, I'm like having something's like percolating right now and I'm just like trying to figure out what it means because I'm literally trying to figure it out. Like there's I Sean's like love language is I'm probably gonna butcher the name, but it's like acts of service or mm-hmm. have you guys read yeah. Love Language? Okay. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a whole other book club. But very familiar with the it. way that he shows affection is through being able to do things for people. And I am very much at like, I'm just going to do it myself better, faster, easier, with less explanation and all of this. And I'm just like in my head thinking, is that related to me believing that it's a bigger burden if someone else does it? Or is it just easier if I do it? Like, I could just handle it. Like, does it make you uncomfortable when he does it? Yeah. I don't like when people do things for me that I could do myself. I think that's where it goes. Like, and I've said that out loud. I don't need you to do the things I can do. I need someone to do the things I can't do. But it's like, well, just because you can doesn't mean you have to do it. Like, he gets gas for my car sometimes because he, like, knows when we, like, shuffle the car or he'll take my car. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was on a quarter tank, so I just filled it up. I'm like, well, you don't have to do that. Like, I can do that. And he's like, well, yeah, I didn't do it because you you can't go get gas. I did it because I just happened to see that the car so only can... had a quarter tank. Like, <laughs> So what you're telling me is like, you have a really hard time receiving his love language. Yeah. But could you receive, now we're getting real deep, but yeah. could you receive mm-hmm. it because it'll make him feel good for you to receive it well? Like, since he likes doing acts of service, like, 
that yeah you know that's like, where i need to be i need right. to be there to where not because it's it makes not about, you feel good because you want to make yeah. him feel good and and that he's not judging me for not going that's and getting what, my own gas that's like, what it is for me because yeah. i have the same thing with terry and he tells me his language same thing love language is acts of service and he would i would come home if I was gone all day on a Saturday or something, and he would list off all all the, the stuff he did, chores he did, and, and to like me, right it now I feel like, like crap. It's like you you didn't do the laundry, you didn't empty the dishwasher. Oh my god, you didn't make it. <laughs> that's how you. That's were how hearing I hear it. it. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I hear oh my god, it. I could never be in a relationship with you. That would drive me fucking crazy. He's giving me like I'm like okay, you want a gold star or a cookie? Like fuck off i know oh my I'm a gosh i literally say that i say do you want a cookie i do say that oh, to sean sometimes and i need to we're so it, mean it is well this is another level of how we are so i think though that's also fundamentally real spouses with each other <laughs> right i think that's yeah. fundamentally flawed though because that's us assuming as a criticism when it's yeah. actually them it's not. just it's love. love it's not a burden for them yeah it's and just, I do and now, I do, I do. But make, like for a long time, it was like, okay. And I've had to tell him like, please do not list off all the things you did today. Yeah. Or it just makes, like, feel bad. or how like, and it's boring. How <laughs> grateful do you need to be for that? Like, that's a challenge for me is how grateful do I need to be for people who do things for me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so where's that coming from though? Is there someone in your life who you had to that had to sacrifice a lot for you that you felt like you had to be super grateful to? Uh, I don't know if it's directly coming from it, but I know like my mom did so much for my brother and I to the point where like she could drive herself crazy. And there was a period of time where my parents were separated before they reconciled. My mom, I mean, I honestly don't know. I don't know how she got through the day, honestly. I can't imagine the levels of stress she was under we were yeah. this was like from like fifth grade into high school before they my, my mom and my dad reconciled but I never felt like I didn't do things to not be a burden but I I feel like I was like trying to do well in school and you know I got involved with other groups I had friends but I would never got an indication of like don't call me to pick you up because I'll be driving in traffic to get home or don't call me if you need to be taken to an event. Like if anything, I saw how much she would do no matter how much she was being asked for. But we, maybe we just assume that it was a burden because you did know how stressed and overwhelmed she was. So yeah. Even though she wasn't making you feel that, I don't think my mom made me feel that way either. She my never mom never said like, said oh my it. God, one more social group. Jeez. One more club. No, for school? Yeah. My oh mom my never gosh. Like outwardly said anything either, but I could just see she, this woman is clearly like overwhelmed and anything yeah. like anything else that I need or do is going to. But it's, it's so interesting because like Sean with your mom, like she was doing all these things for you, not to get your gratitude, right? She was doing them oh, to yeah. take care of you because she loved you yeah. and, and she was your mom. And then yes. the same with your Sean, like he's doing these things because he loves you and, right. and wants to he's make He's not you looking happy. for something in return other right. than just like, the fulfillment that comes from knowing he helped someone he loves, that he was able to do something for them, makes him feel better. And also he, we've talked about, I think during Hot Old Hudson's Club, maybe a little bit, that he has trouble expressing love in the way that, that I think like the traditional definition of the way people expect it. Mm -hmm. So for him, it's something tangible that he's able to do to show that and it, maybe it does. Maybe this is where we start separating, like, how does this book affect, how does the big leap and these limit problems affect us personally, but then also like in our jobs. So I think personally, that's part of it for me is, you know, not, I, I already do. I probably felt like I was creating a burden for our household by switching careers but I had to move quickly past that and start moving on it because how long am I going to let the burden fester if I don't get the business established, get clients, start working, start doing like it's, right. it was almost like action mode. I had to start doing it. And so we all had very similar switches. 
Um, but to me, I look at it the opposite. When I was unhappy in my other career, that's when I really was a burden to my husband. Like mm. I would come home every night so unhappy and just like dump shit on him. And I, I was so unfulfilled that it was just hard to be a good partner as much as I tried. And so yeah. and when I made the switch, then I felt like, okay, maybe financially I'm more of a burden now, but like in terms of showing up in my household, like you're, you're getting there. a better version of me now, you know? Yeah. And there's just less money in the bank account for now. That's, you know? Yeah, that's where we went. I'm a much happier person now than I ever was in my past career, which I'm like, oh, that's weird. Cause I, I had fulfilling relationships and was like, I have friendships where I'm like, was really truly myself with people I, I knew at the bank or worked with at the bank. Um, I don't think I was miserable the whole time. I just no, think- No, but like generally... if you were zone of, zone of confidence versus zone of excellence, like that's a big change. Yeah. And like, we'll take you from flat to like- Well, and yeah. don't you, I mean, I, I was pretty miserable where I was and I am the kind of person who like tries to make the best of things. So like, I would still try to enjoy my day and enjoy my coworkers and stuff. But now that I'm in uh, and I have my own business and I contrast it, to where I was, I'm like, wow, what a difference. Like only looking back with, with hindsight, can I see like how not in a good place I was there. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. I mean, and I owned my own business before yeah. and it was looking back, like the expectations that I had in that business was putting me in my probably zone of incompetence towards the end. I think I was mm -hmm. in my more zone of like excellence in the beginning, but as we grew and the business needs changed and I was more into this managerial sales slash executive kind of role, like it, it kept moving down. Suit me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel yeah, like... like technically I was like moving up in my career, but moving down in my zones, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of weird. I've had position. I, I mean, I can think about different roles that I had in the 13 years I was in banking where it was like, oh, that was like a zone of competence. There I was in zone of excellence. And then there were like glimpses of zone of genius where it wasn't about getting accolades or recognition, but it was like, oh, I noticed when I'm involved in particularly like for me, in my business, I feel like the project management and project coordination piece of it is like, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm going to wait till we keep reading to understand it better. But I really know that that's either something where I'm in my zone of excellence or zone of genius with like, I'm remembering small details constantly and thinking about like in the conceptual stages of projects about execution and like how things overlap or what will create a problem before they've even land, like before the cards have even materialized, I'm thinking about where they're falling. And that to me is a zone where I recognize that when roles or projects or things I did in those careers, when I was doing that, I, more recognition came from it, more praise came from it, um, more attention from other people and people reinforcing, like, I would have missed that. I wouldn't have noticed that. I would have never thought about that. Like, I'm glad we caught that early. And then that now happens in my business where it's like, well, how wide is that little piece of trim going to be? Because we need to fit a switch and the trim around the door and the cabinets right there. And how wide is that going to be? And that's where, as we're doing a project, you know, you hope that everyone else is coming in and catching it too. But there's so many times where the cabinet guy will be like, oh, I missed that. I didn't mm -hmm. think about that yet. We'll just notch like, it out. Well, well, or, or thank God I have time to adjust, you know, we can pick a different profile for something or we can move the electrical still, whatever it might be. But there's so many times where that comes up and the, and the specialty will say the plumber will go, Ooh, I didn't even check that. I didn't measure that. I didn't notice that. So part of our job is saving a lot of other people's asses and that that's saving people's asses might be my zone of excellence or zone of genius. <laughs> And I think what's interesting is like breaking down, like I think um, I have a worksheet that I found on the internet I'll share with you guys about how to like break down and find your zone of genius. And it's like, like the Kelly Wurstler kind of conversation, like Sean, but you're saying that's not my zone of genius, <laughs> but I want to work with people who are in that and 
be able to rely on their expertise so I can stay in my lane. I don't exactly know what it is. Well, and it's hard because our business um, has so many different um, right. We can excel at a lot of different aspects yeah, the, of it. And, and it really is like when I was in school, so I didn't go to art school. My degree is in interior architecture, but the base classes were like art classes. And a lot of the um, people in my program were artists. And so when I was in elements of design and we were like drawing things and I was like looking around at my classmates and I was like, oh, wow. And the teacher, who I had a huge crush on, of course, the last <laughs> class, he was like, you know, your brain is like very different than their brains, right? And I was like, yes, because they are so, um, left-brained is the creative side, right? Mm -hmm. Right. They were also left-brained. And I feel like, honestly, I'm a very good mix of right and left brain, but I've been operating in the right most of my life. And um, interior design really is a place where it combines both of those things. Mm -hmm. Like there's yeah. hella math, there's hella organization. There's a lot of like visualizing things. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I'm sorry. Um, there's a lot of like visualizing. There's so many different facets of it that we're not going to be a, a, zone of, a zone of genius in all of those things, no. right? No, um, but that but goes back to what he says. A zone of competence, right? And at least, yeah. at least all of them or outsource them. Right. And that's where he says, like, your your goal is to move to upwards of 70% of your day in your zone of genius instead, which means, like, what do we need to do as our businesses change to spend less time on websites? Or, or Rebecca, in your case, like, a project manager or someone who can help offload that someday maybe in the cards where it makes sense for you to have someone who you offload that to because it's just not going to be where you or not take on that energy. kind of work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or only work with contractors who already have a coordinator or someone on staff. There are plenty okay. of people right. like that. Wait, hold on though. I, Rebecca, I have to challenge you saying not take on work like that because <laughs> we're in that's, a that's you about withdrawing from it. Yes. I know. And that's, that's totally my big question with this book like am i setting my thermometer too low and yes. afraid to like yeah. push it and find ways to like be my inner kelly worsler uh-huh um, because I think she might not be good at what sean's saying like she probably isn't good at what sean's do you saying, think like, she's doing the elevation drawing right. no. no like no. she's no. made burgers yeah. so like, i saw um, it like I told you guys I saw Nate Burkus speak. He does not own a fucking computer. Because he doesn't need... His job is the creativity. The when big, I, he sure. does it all on his phone and he just has little... Like, he's just referencing shit, like, all day. Like, oh, but it's, I can see that. That's that, that level of genius. Where he so, says, like, oh, gosh, we need something with some shine to it. Wouldn't this amazing oh, thing Mexico, that I saw... I saw like this glazed artisan who only does four tiles a year and yeah. i have a picture that's, of it on my phone that's and that's where weird. and that's where Sign for some up. designers it is that's what gets them paid the big bucks is they think of something no one else would have thought of in any other mm -hmm. setting and they're the only one who pulls that genius move of oh my god it's like i just had a vision this is what it's going to be like and then everybody else just goes, ooh. And for and some I don't need to figure out how it's actually going to get executed. I just need to top the people that I'm imagining this yeah, don't floating even worry about vessel. Those. Yeah, like I want this Moroccan vessel that was carved from a this whatever. And I just want it to be floating on the wall. You guys tell me how to make, just make it happen. I need it to yeah. be See, there. See, that's why that I loved working on One Room Challenge projects with my dad because he, that's how we work. Make it happen, so, Dad. Yeah, I'm like, this is what I'm I envisioning. I, I have want no invisible idea how closet it's doors. Suspend in space. You literally, <laughs> and like he would just keep trying to engineer it, and then build it. So, on a super small scale. Oh, that exists. So then you 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 felt you're that creative director. You're more of a chip, creative I need director. My chip gains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're a creative director. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what you are yet. I shouldn't be saying that yet. Obviously, we're going to be figuring this out because we still have several chapters ahead of us in the coming weeks but i think that's a big deal from what we need to take away from this is recognize what are the things that have held us back 
in the past or continue to do so now. And I can see a big change from what held me back when I was younger, you know, and then like what held me back up until I left my banking career. And I think that's part of it too, is he's not, he's not saying all of these things hold you back at all times or one for your whole life. It's like, which of these are applying right now to your situation? And I think the big thing, like Claire, you were saying, I think the big question filter I'm going to put it through is, am I playing small or am I living in the wrong zone? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are, yeah, we have to be able to distinguish between that. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I think this is good. I'm, I didn't go forward into chapters three and four yet. And I know we have a couple, so we've got two weeks until we meet again and go through chapters three and four. And I would really like to hear from some of the listeners, um, either in reviews or, um, sharing with us online you guys email. I would actually really love it if you guys would email us at hello at designers club. Um, I'd love to hear what resonated with you from it. And then we could take a couple minutes from, um, meeting number two and share some of the revelations or the aha moments that you guys had when you were reading it. Good. I'm glad that you guys really were getting stuff from this. Sean, I was worried it was going to be a little too woo woo for your type eightness. I know I'm not, yeah, I'm not too big on all the you know spiritual universe bells and whistles contracts, yeah. un- contracts with the universe See, exactly um, yeah yeah i have an appointment cosmic, with my medium tomorrow, cosmic so. agreements yeah i feel like i fall between you two on this spectrum so okay good i think there's still yeah. like practical things we can think about though yeah i'm never in the person in like a group sharing circle who starts crying like that's just not <laughs> i'm i don't know not either Oh, I'm emotional. I do, have emo- I do have emotions, but I'm never the like, oh, this is getting so woo-woo and I'm really overwhelmed by it. Like, I'm always like, oh, that's interesting. Like, kind of Mr. Spock, like, hmm, fascinating. And then I just, like, move through it. Like, Oh, I feel like you, you're not the kind of person who's, like, listening to all of it and, like, judging it in your head. Yeah, that's what I think. I am that person or I'm not that person? No, you are. You we are. are. Yeah, I'm like, God, how did they let themselves get pushed this far? <laughs> and why didn't, why didn't just anybody Google it. help them? And yeah, just Google it, Suzanne. God, um, <laughs> I just want people to like, I don't know. I feel like we need to be shaken out of ourselves sometimes. And we work in these bubbles where it's like we're too embarrassed to show other designers where we're missing things or where we're not mm-hmm. good at things. And you just need sometimes the easiest solutions just do not come to us and we can't figure out why. And then you're like, Holy crap. I, why did no one ever reveal to me that this was how I could be handling it and my life could be so much better. Um, and maybe this and is part of I that. Like, like, like if you think of interior design industry as like a multifaceted kind of orb, right? Like we're mm-hmm. each going to have sides of that that are, we're going to be stronger in, but there's so many sides to it. Like we were saying, like there's so many ways to be good, a good interior designer, decorator, like totally. Mm -hmm. And we're not all going to be the same. And we're all not going to be Kelly Wurstlers of the world. No, but I, I want my version of that. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where it's finding our zone of genius of what that looks like. And it may There's not already be already a Kelly Wurstler. She's doing awesome. So there's already let's see what Rebecca Plum. There's going. already an Amber Lewis. There's already a Shay McGee. It's not about being those people, but we can aspire based on the example of the great things they've been able to accomplish to to mm-hmm. recognize that the total upper limit within our industry is really freaking high. Like there, right. we have been shown some huge pathways. Mm-hmm to various methods of success and it's possible, but we have to get like, almost like get out of our own damn way in order to do it. Yeah. Like Rebecca, I feel like Shay McGee is a really good example for you because she has like an untraditional background. She doesn't come from a design background and look at the construction projects she does now. Right. Like, I know. She doesn't she's in like... CAD right now. No, 
no exterior no. construction stuff it's true and, she's, and like and she's joanna Gaines, like i'm not like farmhouse person but like joanna Gaines, her story really resonates with me too like she's completely self-taught mm-hmm. she's like got her whole life on lock it seems and well she found the niche she does and it that's her way yeah, and and that might be where we go back to saying like the niche of that for her is her zone of, gen- of zone of genius. It's not necessarily, it's not just related to like her style and her aesthetic is in a niche or in a zone, but also the way she operates is in that her zone. Lifestyle. Like she's she's yeah. lined up all of them to operate within that zone together and that's she part lined of it. up Waco Texas. She like rebranded Waco Texas. I mean, literally and- needed. It needed a it will, rebrand. I mean, it will never not be in its connotation with me to think about the like the siege of the Davidians, the Branch Davidians. That will always be the first thing I think of when anyone ever says Waco. But not but, the rest of America. But for a lot of, yeah, for a new generation, they will never, they'll be like, what? That happened out here? And they'll have no idea. But she's lined up her abundance, her love, and her creativity all to operate at least on the surface, there could be a lot of stuff going down we don't know about. But from the outside looking in, it would appear that all of them have lined up. Yeah. It's, that's how it seems. Goals. So. All right. We'll, we're going to, I think we're going to find a lot more in chapters three and four to help us navigate. And then we can um, link in the show notes that the worksheet you were talking about, Rebecca. So that way, if anyone wants to find it or yes. go over to it we can link it's to not that. anything i created but yeah I'll yeah but i'm stoked i can't wait to i'm gonna it's gonna take a lot out of me to not try to talk to you guys in the next two weeks about chapter three and four so just write it, it down does, just write save it, it down for the pod. It, save it for the save pod write it for in the your pod. diary sean thanks for joining us claire this has been fun bye you guys bye, bye rebecca bye claire Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. 